0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. We're glad to have you today. And today you have joined us on what I think is probably one of the top uh, weekends that we, we, we've had thus far at Life Church uh, with a special guest speaker. We don't have a ton of guest speakers at Life Church. Uh, we've got some great guys on staff that are communicators, and and I like to talk. In case you haven't found that out. And um, but uh, but this weekend I invited. A missionary uh, to Laos, who spent 12 years in India prior to that, to come and speak to us this weekend. I'll make a couple statements. Number one, I am not going to take an offering. So everybody just breathe deep and just, okay. I'm not going to ask you to open your pocketbooks. I'm not going to ask you to open your checkbooks. What I want you to do today is open your heart. Um, Joe Gordon is a guy that I met about three years ago when I was in India Uh, And we were at a hotel and having dinner one evening. It's kind of late into the night. And uh, he began to tell what God was doing. uh, And I began to ask questions. And the more he talked, the more I wanted to hear. And uh, and the longer that I sat there. And this is one of those guys that, uh, no disrespect to anyone else, he is boots on the ground, front line, doing, going, speaking to people that, quite frankly, are not reached. And that's pretty amazing in the world that we live in. But needless to say, it's happening. And God's using him incredibly. He's going to talk to you a little bit more about that. But that night, I came back home, and that was one of the things. He, he made some, we had a conversation that I, I still haven't forgotten. As a matter of fact, when I saw him yesterday, I, I recalled it. And, and when I found out that he was going to be in Wisconsin uh, doing some uh, camps, I uh, found out if, to see if we could get him to come here. And, uh, and so uh, we worked that out so he could be here with us this weekend. And so what I asked him to do is I said, I just want you to come and I want you to share. And I want you just to talk and encourage and stir up our people. We're a young church and uh, we have a great heart to reach people in our community. We have a great heart to reach people around the world. And just And I think missions is one of those things that's caught, not just taught. I think you need to hear about it. And then I think you need to go on a mission trip, which we've got about 100 people uh, going uh, on missions this year. There's about two dozen high school students that will leave tomorrow with Pastor Kevin and Noel uh, to Oaxaca, Mexico, that will be working with the Azteca Indians an indigenous group of people and uh, ministering to them. And uh, it's going to be an awesome time. And then they'll be back home next weekend or next week. And, uh, and so I just said I just really want you to encourage and do that. And, 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 and here's the thing. Um, what I want to do today is simply this. I, I want to pray before Joe comes out. And I really believe that in these next few moments, if you'll just, I don't, I've never said this like this before either. You'll just open your heart. Seriously. Just open your heart and let God challenge you. I think God will speak to you right where you are about how you, uh, as an individual, as well as we as a church, can continue to fulfill God's work in this world and how we can keep that heart of God. And I know that's what your desire is. It's my desire. That's why we're all here. But this is going to be just a choice, servant. This is going to come and I think encourage you. So let's pray real quick. Father, I just thank you for this moment. Lord, I thank you. I've heard Joe the last two services. And I have seen a man that's just a man, but he's someone that you have chosen to use and to use greatly. And Father, as he's spoken and even just different stories and different services just been led the Holy Spirit and what to say, I know that this service is no different. And there are a unique group of people that are here. And this isn't a cookie cutter message or just we just have a program and let's just push play and, and go on autopilot. Today is a day or well, Lord, I believe you're going to speak to our hearts. So I pray, oh God, help us to put everything else out of mind, put last week behind us, put this week away from us, just focus on these few moments. And in these few moments, God, I pray you speak to our hearts. You call us, God, encourage us, God, equip us, God, convict us, Holy Spirit, and help us to get the, your heart for this world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you give a warm Life Church welcome to Joe Gordon? Good morning.
1: Well, I'm feeling pretty good right now. I did uh, four weeks of youth camps, and Friday my voice was gone. And now, Saturday night, Sunday morning, it is now late Sunday morning, and I still have a little bit of voice. So I'm feeling pretty good about life right now. <laughs> So it is really good to be with you guys. You know, church <clears throat> feels pretty strange right now. I, I don't get back to America much. We can't have church in Laos. We have uh, about 36 Bible studies all over the town, small groups all the time. But it's just a couple of people sitting around talking about the Bible. So uh, for us, if somebody lifts their voice or if somebody gets loud, that's, the police may break in. So it makes you a little nervous when you start hearing noise and things. And so my children, one of my sons, is, uh, he's uh, six years old now. He hasn't been to church in three years, so he really didn't remember church at all. So when we first came back, <clears throat> when I'm in Laos, and when I was in India, uh, I travel a lot, I go out to villages, try to share with people, and I always tell my children the same thing whenever I leave. I say, guys, you know, I, I don't like to be away from you, but you know that God's called us, and it's our job to make sure everybody has a chance to know Jesus. That's what we do as a family, and so we pray together, and, and, and they, you know, they understand it, they get it, I go out. So when we came back to the States this time, we went to church on our first Sunday morning back, and uh, my youngest son, Caleb, was sitting with my wife, Lori. She was sitting there right before service started, and he turned around and looked at the crowd and said, uh, does everybody here know God? And Lori said, well, I think they do. And, she, and then he looked at her, and he's a great with faces. He said, well, why did we have to come here? So uh, I've been trying to figure that out. So if you have any answers, help me out later. <laughs> Turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. You know, the guy who wrote John 3.16 is the one who wrote 1 John 3.16. You guys probably know John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world. Who whosoever so believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that same guy wrote this, 1 John 3.16. I'm going to read verse 16 through 18. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity in him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. You know, when I got saved, <clears throat> it's somewhat of a blessing that I grew up in a non-religious family. I really believe that. I didn't grow up around church. I didn't know all the church lingo. I didn't know what you were supposed to be. So I didn't realize when you got saved that that simply means, you know, go to church, sit there, you know, give a little offering, go home. I didn't realize that's what it was. I actually thought that it meant, wow, I'm supposed to follow Jesus with all of my life. I was 20 years old. I was an alcoholic. I got saved. And I was just, I just wanted to follow God so bad. I just wanted it with all my heart. I just wanted to do something for God. And I was telling him last night that I used to go into my pastor's office a lot. And my pastor, he was a nice guy, but just a country church pastor. And, you know, and I would go into his office and I would beg him to let me do something in church. I would beg him, you know, if you'll let me preach, if you'll let me teach a Sunday school class, if you'll let me drive, if I can do something in church, please let me do something in church. I would just beg him. And he was just terrified of me, you know, because he thought, you know, no telling what he's going to say. I mean, I'm still, you know, I'm still just just coming off alcohol and and I still look like an alcoholic. I mean, you know, it's not inspiring to see a guy with a Budweiser T-shirt asking you, can I teach a Sunday school class? That's not very inspiring. But anyway, so finally, after about three months, he just said, I tell you what, go home, read your Bible. Whatever the Bible says, do, do it. And so I went home, read my Bible, and there's a story about this rich young guy in the Bible. And there's a story about how he came to Jesus and said, what do I need to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you know the commandments. And he said, oh, I follow those. And he said, "What Jesus said, well, you lack one thing. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And I thought, that's it that's what I'm supposed to do. And there was nobody there to tell me different. So I just did it. I went out, sold everything I had, gave everything I had away and just took off on a journey. That was 22 years ago. I just took off on a journey of following God. And I've been following him now for 22 years and still don't have a house, still don't own a car, still don't have a bank account with any money in it. And God's just been faithful. So when I got to India, I thought of myself as pretty radical, you know, as pretty, you know, Oh, you know, I'm an extreme guy. I, I just love the Lord and I trust in the Lord. And I get to India and I start to rub shoulders and share life with guys who really know how to do this stuff. There's a guy, his name is uh, Guljar Hussein. He's not related to Saddam as far as I know. Young guy, he was 17 years old and he accepted the Lord. And he went home and told his father, his father was the leader of the local mosque. And he went home and told his father, he said, you know, I, I, I decided to follow Jesus, and his father locked him in a room. And for three months, his father would come to the room every day, and he would say, are you still following Jesus? And he'd say, yes. He'd give him a piece of bread, give him a cup of water, would lock the door and leave him. And this happened for three months when he was 17 years old. He said, after three months of this, finally one night, he just prayed. And he said, you know, Lord, he said, I, I really believe you're real, but I need your help. I can't take it anymore. And he said, as soon as he finished praying, the door just opened just opened up, and he thought, well, maybe he's dreaming or something, so he got up, he walks out the door, he comes to the front door, it's unlocked, he goes out, he gets to the road in his little village, and there's a car sitting there with the door open, and he gets inside of the car and sits down, and the guy just turns around and looks at him, and takes off driving, brings him to the city where we live, and comes to the house, stops, he opens the door, gets out, and the guy just takes off, never saw the guy again, never knew who he was, and uh, that's how God set him free, and you know, when you're around people like that, you realize, well, I'm just a worm. <laughs> you, know, you know, I'm just a worm, a 17-year-old kid who uh, is just willing to live for God. And stuff started happening. And, and uh, you know, and let me say this very clearly. I don't say things like this to diminish. Some of my best friends in the world are Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus and atheists you know, they're just real people just like us who are looking for God. They just haven't found him yet. They're just good people who are looking for God. And they're just, they're just like us. You know, they're no better, no worse. They're just like us. Don't think they're any worse. They're just, they're just like you. They're just looking for God. They're just doing what they think's best for their family. They just haven't found God yet. But when they find God, wow, they're awesome guys. <laughs> and so, in this town where we lived, this was mainly a Buddhist town where we were living, mainly Tibetan Buddhists. You know, uh, they are uh, followers of the Dalai Lama in this area. And things started happening. And uh, it was just, we had some wild things happening. We were preaching a crusade in this town one night. And, uh, and uh, there were some guys who didn't like what we were doing. So they decided to kill us. And so they sent a uh, hitman. Uh, that, uh, you know, it was very cold, and they were just standing, we had the stage, and so he's got this big coat on, and underneath his coat, he's got some bombs, and he's got some stuff on him where, you know, he's going to take us out at this meeting, and so he's standing there at the front of the meeting, and and he had three guys with him, and he said, you guys wait, you know, as soon as they get on stage, we're going to throw these things up on the stage, and we're going to get rid of all of these guys at one time, so... The whole team gets on the stage, and he told me this later. He said, I turned to my friends and said, let's go. He said, I went to take a step, and he said, and I felt somebody grab me, and I thought, oh, no, the police caught us. He said, but I looked down, and there's no hands there. He said, I looked behind me. There's no one there. He said, I looked at my other friends, and they're all standing there the same way. They're just terrified. He said, for three hours, he said, I was in this vice-like grip. He said, I couldn't move. He said, at the end of the meeting, he said, you all walked off the stage. He said, let me go. He said, and I ran home he said and me and my buddies we got together and all night we prayed to our gods you know give us power give us strength to overcome this three nights in a row he came back the same thing happened three nights in a row his name is Angcho and he's really dumb I mean he's a nice friend I love him now but he was really dumb it took him three nights the fourth night he comes back the same thing happened and finally on the fourth night it dawns on him Oh, wow, Jesus must be the real God and he must be more powerful than my gods. You know, not very bright, a good kid, but not very bright. But on the fourth night, he finally, after the meeting, when he's let go, he drops to his knees and he said, Jesus, I want to follow you. And this just let loose a, uh, it just let loose a wave of craziness in the town. I mean, it was a wave of craziness. I mean, the only time in my life I knew I was famous was at this time. They, they made a poster of me and a poster of one of our friends and put it all over the town. I mean, I was like, you know, I was like a, a rock star in reverse. You know, I mean, it was like all, I was like Lindsay Lohan, you know, you know, and they put our posters up all over town and just like, watch out for these guys. They're bad guys. You know, don't let them in their house. Don't listen to them. They sent them to all the surrounding villages. I mean, it was, it got intense. So one night, uh, Gulger, he's out on the streets with another friend of mine who was a Tibetan boy who'd gotten saved, and this mob surrounds them, and they start to tell them, you know, and mock them and abuse them. And finally, they're they're all drunk, and they're all, you know, they're just soused up, and they're surrounding these guys. So finally, one of them says, you know, we know you're here with Joe Gordon. You go right now and bring him out, and if he's brave enough to come out, we will burn him alive right here, right now. Now, Gulger, the problem is with guys like this, they read the Bible and they actually believe it. I mean, that's dangerous. I mean, they just read it and they think, you know, okay, tell me what else to do. They just read it and believe it. So he gets upset, gets in the face of this guy and says, he's not afraid of you. I'll go get him right now. We'll come right now. Don't move. Stay right here. I'll be back in five minutes. And he comes running back to my house. And he runs in the door. I mean, it's about 11 o'clock at night. He grabs me by the hand. He says, come on, I want you to go with me. There's some guys that want to hear you preach. I said, hold on, man. I said, it's late at night. What are you talking about, some guys? Well, he said, yeah, there's some guys out there. They said they'd burn you alive if you'd come out and preach. And I told him, you're not afraid. Come on, let's go. I said, hold on a minute. You know, we need to pray about this. He said, no, there's nothing to pray about. Just come on, let's go. I'm from America. (laughs) America. You know, Bibles are just stories. They're suggestions. You know, I mean, you know, know, we don't take this all too seriously. And I'm like, hold on. And so I said, I'm going to pray before I go. And I prayed the longest prayer of my life. I mean, it was like a 30-minute nonstop monologue just between me to God. And I just and I prayed for dogs and cats and people that had been dead along. I just prayed for everything. And finally, I said, okay, well, I guess if I'm going to die. Let's do it. And I went out, and praise the Lord, they were so drunk, they had all passed out and gone out. But anyway, praise the Lord. The Lord saved me that night. I don't know if the long prayer or good timing saved me. But when you're around guys like that, guys who really take it literally that, listen, Jesus Christ gave his life for me. And it's my responsibility to say, man, this life came to me because of God. And I just want to give this life back so that somebody else can find what I have found. It's not a guilt trip that, oh, I've got to do something for God, you know, and oh, you know, so that maybe he'll do something for me or, you know, this pressure. It's not pressure. It's not guilt. It's just pure, unadulterated love man, God loved me. God's changed my life. And no matter what it costs me, I want to make sure that other people can find what I have found in Jesus. That's what it's all about. There's another guy. His name is uh, Sonam. And uh, Sonam is just a really cool guy. We were doing meetings in another town one time. And uh, Sonam was just passing through the town on business. He worked for Honda and he was an executive vice president with Honda. He had a really big job, flew business class all over the world, stayed in five-star hotels, and he just happened to be passing through this town one night. There was uh, meetings going on. He walked up, saw a crowd, came up to the meetings, and while he was there, God just touched his heart and just, just changed his life. And we, I never met him. We didn't know anything about what happened. He just came. God changed his life. He went back to living. And so years later... He was on a plane, and a friend of mine was on the plane with him, and my friend noticed him reading a Bible. And he looked at him and said, hey, I see we have something in common. He said, he said uh, you're a Christian. He said, well, I'm trying to be. He said, I accepted, you know, Jesus, and I really don't know much. And so I read my Bible, and I'm trying to find somebody to help me, and I just really don't know, you know, what all God wants me to do. But I really want to follow Jesus. So they got to talking, and, and through talking, he found out, you know, he, and my, about what happened. And so he calls me up and says, you've got to go and visit this guy. Now, this is two or three years after he began his journey with Christ. So he calls me up and says, you have got to go and visit this guy. So I get on a plane and go to the city where he is, and I get to his house, and when I walk into his house, I just had one of those moments. It wasn't anything I heard or anything. I just walked in, and, and he said hey to me. And before I even said hey, I just said, there's something I need to read to you. Didn't, didn't hear anything, just, just really felt inside. So I said, there's something I need to read to you. And I sat down, and I read, opened the Bible, and read Isaiah 54 to him. Now, Isaiah 54 is not special to me. I don't even really know for sure right this moment what it says. I just felt like I needed to read that. When I finished reading it, I looked up, and he's got tears in his eyes. He said, the day that the Lord saved me, he told me that there would be a man one day that would walk into my house and read Isaiah 54, and that I would know that it was time to leave everything and follow him. And uh, that day he did. He left his job, left everything, started following the Lord, and he and I, from that time, for the next 10 years, spent about two weeks out of every month sleeping in tents, just walking to villages and preaching the gospel, just left everything to follow Jesus. And then, you know, these are just guys that, wow, you know, you're just around them. They know what it means that Jesus laid down his life. And man, who am I to hold on to my life when Jesus gave me so much? And so we're sitting around one day and, and he's there, you know, all this commotion's going on. So we're sitting around in the house and we're praying, Lord. What can we do next? I mean, this town has gone insane. They have put our posters. It's it's me and him, our posters. You know, we're side by side. Our posters are all over town. They took pictures of our car and our license plate and put it in villages and said, don't allow this car into your village. You know, watch out for this license. I mean, we were like infamous. I mean, we're like the, you know, the James gang or something. You know, we're infamous all over town. And so we're praying. There was a village where you could just tell something good was happening. And when all of this broke up, we had started taking in young children who had nowhere to go. We'd started taking them in, and they came to burn our house down. And when they came to burn our house down, we went to the police, and we said, uh, hey, these guys threatened to burn our house down. And the police said, sounds like you better leave your house. And so that was was our police advice. And so we prayed, and finally the landlord came and said, listen, you're going to have to leave. So they put us out on the streets. We have nowhere to go. So now we're just praying, you know, and what are we going to do, Lord? You know, what do you want us to do? So Sonam is sitting there, and while he's praying, he just jumps up and says, I've got it. He said, I know what the Lord wants us to do. And all the other guys are like, great, tell us. What does the Lord want us to do? He said, listen, if you look on the map, he said, we're right here, and this is the village where we want to go. We just really felt like, man, there's some people there who want to hear. And so what we're going to do is, there's a road that goes here, goes out of the state, and then comes back around to the top of the mountains. And then there's a trail that will take us about 10 days through the mountains. We can walk through the mountains. And before they know it, we can walk into the back of this village, and we can just start preaching before they know we're there. That was his grand plan. <laughs> and they're all like, yeah, that's it. That's what God wants us to do. And so... I said, listen, guys, they threatened to kill us in that village. They said, oh, that's all right. We'll be preaching before they can kill us. You know, it'll be okay. We can do it. And they're just really excited that, wow, this is God's plan. And so I said, okay, let's do it. And so we get in this bus, and we take two days to go on this bus. Now, when I say bus, that is loosely termed. There's no windows, there's no door, and there's only metal on the seats. And in the evenings, it's 20 below zero, and it's dusty. So we're in this thing for 13 hours a day for two days, you know, going through the mountains, bumping through the mountains. We get to the end of the road, we go to sleep, we get up the next day, we take off walking. Every day, we did the exact same thing nine days in a row. We would walk up over a mountain, up over the pass, through the snow, up over, we'd get up about, some of them are 15,000, up to about 18,000. We'd go up over the top, through the snow, come back down to the bottom, to the valley, because you can't sleep on the top. Go to sleep, get up the next morning, and go over the next mountain. And we did this nine days in a row. Tenth day, you know, it's a plane that's leading into the, where the uh, village is. And so we're walking along the plane, and finally you can see the village. Now, I haven't had a bath in two weeks. I haven't eaten properly in two weeks. I am tired. I am worn out. And when I saw the village, the first thought that came to me was, I hope they kill me quickly. I mean, at that point, there's no options of, oh, I'm scared. Let's go home. You know, that that's out, that's out of the question. <laughs> you know, dying quickly is a better option than nine days back over the mountain, two more days in the bus. And so... Man, I hope that if they're going to do it, do it fast. Let's get it over with. And so we get up there, and we're in a little valley now. There's a, we're here on this side of the little valley, and then the village is over here. Still about another hour walk. And so we sit down, and we look at the village. And me and Sonom get to talking, and, you know, wow, this is it. You know, this, this may be it. You know, you know this, this may be our last day on earth. They said if we come back, they're going to kill us. This may be it. And we get to talk in a minute, and then we say, well, let's just pray that, uh, that God's going to do something great today, that somehow, whether we live or whether we die, that God's going to do something great today. So we start praying. And as we're praying, this flock of pigeons comes swooping over. You could hear them. They sweep down through the valley. They come into the village and land in the village. Now, Sonam is a very spiritual, all Tibetans are very spiritual kind of guys. So when he saw this, he jumped up and he said, Man, the Spirit of God has gone before us into the village. Let's go and reach the village. And I turned to him and I said, Man, them things was pigeons, not doves. The Bible doesn't say anything about pigeons being a sign of anything. But he was convinced, that's it. God's going before us. And I said, all right, let's do it. And so we get up, get our backpacks on. And while we had been sitting there praying, there's this Tibetan guy on a yak that all day, you know, we're above the tree line. There's no trees. It's just as far as you can see at this point. We're on the top of the plane at this point. And as far as you can, you can just look for miles. And so this guy has been catching us a little along during the day. So while we had stopped, he got close enough to shout at us. And so he shouts at us. and, And so we stop, and he gets up close. And he gets up real closely and looks us in the face. And then he backs off and says, I know how you guys are. He said, I've seen your poster in our town. He said, I, I'm, I'm the head of, the vill- of this village. He said, I'm the one that sent the letter saying, if you ever came back, we would kill you. That was, it was six months since that had happened. He said, for the last six months, he said, everything in our life has gone wrong. He said, people are dying The crops are failing. We don't have rain. People are fighting with one another. It is like everything has gone wrong. He said, and we sat just this week and talked together about what happened. And we all believe it's because we did this thing to you. And we are so glad because we had just talked this week and we had decided we wanted to find you and bring you back so that we could apologize to you and ask you to share the message with us. And he took us into that village that day and it was like, Man, it was like we were rock stars coming in the village. They all came out of their houses, and they were so excited, and they brought us to the center of the village. The whole village came out. We shared with them about Christ. When we were finished sharing, the leader of the village stood up and said, From this day forward, Jesus Christ is welcome in our village. If you want to follow him, we will not stand in your way. You make your choice if you want to follow him. And from that village area now, I was there just uh, in April. We've now baptized 13 monks who have left the monastery who are now following Jesus. God is awesome. (laughs) But those things only happen because of the kind of people who who really believe this kind of stuff is true. That, man, this life is not for me. God gave me life to share. Let me tell you, accumulating things will never give you the life you really want. I mean, if that was true, then the richest people in the world would be the happiest people in the world. How many of you know some extremely rich people? Are they the happiest people you know? Because happiness, joy, hope is not attached to the things you have. See, what it's attached to is in giving yourself. The more you give yourself, the more life you have. So it's not that Jesus is saying, I want to take your life. It is Jesus saying, if you'll give your life, I can actually give you something better in return. I can give you more life, more hope, more joy in giving yourself. In going to Laos, you know, Laos is a communist country. It is completely closed to the gospel. The uh, Lao government has stated that Christianity is the number one enemy of the state of Laos. To give your life to the Lord in Laos is to literally put your life on the line. When we have baptism services, we have to go into the jungle. We have to find a little stream. We have to dig out a hole, and we have to baptize them. If they are seen taking baptism, it can literally be the end of their life. They can literally spend the rest of their life in jail. I, I know people who have gone, who have been baptized, and you don't see them again. They're just gone. It happens. People are literally putting their life on the line. And I'm amazed some of our guys, 17, 18, 19 years old, who have made a decision, man, this is so real to me. I'm willing to give everything for it. We were going to have a youth camp a few years ago. We can't do anything openly. We can't worship openly. So we decided we'll take everybody out to Thailand so we can just have a weekend where they can really worship the Lord for the first time. We can really pray and seek the Lord. And so I went over to Thailand. I found a place we could have it. I called them back. They started coming. They got to the border, and the police arrested them, and they took them all to prison. And uh, here are 35 kids, brand new in their faith, and they're sitting in prison in handcuffs. And the guard comes by and says, if your God is he said, if, if you get out of this, I'll believe your God is real. People don't get out of this. You guys are finished. And here are these young kids. Their whole future is on the line right here, sitting there in that prison. And yet there's just this depth of, hey, God's for us. God is with us. God's going to take care of this. And they just started praying. Within a few hours, the, uh, the head of police came to that jail and told the uh, prison guard, let every one of them go and let them out of here. And he went up to every one of them and said, we're sorry. He said we apologize. We made a mistake. They should have never brought you here. Go and do whatever you were going to do. My friend, he's only about 19. He's a little cocky. He walked by the guard and said, see, I told you he was real. (laughs) But these kids, they're just guys like that. They just have that faith. One of these guys, he's uh, just a young kid. He's only about 20 years old now. He lives with us in our house. You know, the ministry we do is we just open up our life, open up our house. We can't preach. We can't pass out tracts. We just open up our house, and so every day, kids come by, and they eat lunch with us on the weekends. We'll have 50 or 60 kids just come and hang out, and we just share life together, and a lot of these kids that share life together, they don't want to go home, so they just stay. So we've got eight guys. In my house right now, there's 13 of us that live in our house. My wife is the only girl, so, you know, she's truly a saint of God. You know, she has to take care of 12 guys in the house every day, but these guys, they just, man, they're just incredible people to be around. One of them now, he's already been to jail twice. He's only uh, 20 years old. He's already been to jail twice for following the Lord. Since I've been here, he went home to his home area just to visit while I've been gone. He called me up two Sundays ago to tell me. He said, man, I had a great day today. He said, I was sharing. He said, I baptized 29 people today. (laughs) 29. That's the exact number. In three years in May, I baptized my 29th person. It took him one month of going home to baptize 29 people. And that just sounds so cool, except to know that the people who got baptized baptized, could go to jail for it. Because he was the one who baptized them, he could lose his life for it. But he didn't call me up with, man, pray for me that nobody finds out. He just called me up, man, this is just awesome. God gave me the privilege of baptizing 29 people. He called me up a few days later and said, wow, five more families have come to the Lord now. My two best friends have come to the Lord. I mean, God just doing incredible things. Why? Because of a few people who are willing to lay down their lives and say, Lord, you gave me this life. I just want to give it back to you. Love is not a matter of words. It's a matter of actions, of saying, listen, God, you've given me a home. You've given me a car. You've given me money. You've given me resources. You've given me so much things. But how can we say we love people? If we know that there are people who don't have, who have never heard the gospel, while we simply enjoy life, that's not love. Real love is saying, God, you gave me things for a purpose so that I can give back to make sure that others find the life that I have found in Jesus Christ. Man, they're out there. There's people out there, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates. There are people who need Jesus but they will not find Jesus until you're willing to give your life and say, you know what, people may laugh at me, people may think I've lost my mind, people may think I'm crazy, but I'm going to give my life today. I'm going to give my life on behalf of my classmates to say, I'm going to be the one to step it up and say, hey guys, you you may think I've lost my mind, but I'm a follower of Christ, and Christ has given me life, and and that may cost me my reputation, but I'm going to stand up for Jesus just because I love you. I'm going to go back to work. I'm going to go back into my neighborhood, and I'm going to live out the life of Christ. Everybody may think, "Wow, well, you know these guys, they've gone over the deep end, but that's all right. I may lose something of my reputation. I may lose something of my respect and honor, but that's all right. I just want to make sure people have the chance to know the God who's changed my life. I want to ask you just all over this building to stand with me. I want to ask you to do something with me. I want to just ask you just right where you are, just to lift both your hands as a sign of surrender. All it means is I give up. It just means I give up. Have you ever had to surrender something? And what we're wanting to surrender today is our life. To say, Lord, there are people who are lost and dying. There are people in this city right now who are thinking about committing suicide. There are young girls in this city right now who are contemplating an abortion. There are young men right now who are taking drugs just because they don't feel like there's any other way out. There's people that you work with that are going through divorces, who are going through difficulties, that are dealing with death, that are dealing with dysfunctional homes. There are so many hurting people in this city today. And you've got a choice. Am I gonna live for me, or am I gonna live for somebody else? Am I going to live for something bigger than me? Am I going to give my life to say, you know what? I could take the day off. I could take the afternoon off. Or I can try to engage with somebody who really needs hope today. I could spend my money on me. Or I could invest my money into people who really need hope and really need answers. Am I going to live for me or am I going to live for others? Father, we just give our lives to you today. We surrender, Lord God. It's not my life. It's not my time. It's not my talents. Everything I have is because of you, Lord, because you gave your life for me, Lord, and you found me when I had no hope. You found me when I was in a pit and you lifted me up. But, Lord, you didn't just give me this life just so that I could enjoy it. You gave me this life so that I could share it. Father, every one of us in this room, you gave us life so that we could share it with others. Father, I pray that you would help us to meaningfully share our lives, to meaningfully give our lives, to do whatever it takes, Lord God, that our families, our community, our state, our nation, our world would know the love that is only found in Jesus Christ. Father, we just thank you today. You are so good to us, Lord. You are so good to us Lord, bless your people with the strength and the courage to give their lives for you in Jesus' name.